never want to stop talking about how good God's been. Amen. Has God been good to you? You know, I, um, growing up, I, I got annoyed that my testimony wasn't as cool as other people. You know, you go to church and you have a guest speaker, and he's like, I was a womanizer, but God. Next guest speaker comes to church, and he's like, I was an alcoholic, but the goodness of God found me. The next guest speaker comes, and he's saying, I was a gangster. And the Lord rescued me. We even had a guest speaker come to our church one time and he used to be in the KKK. I was in the KKK, but God. And I was like, man. And we go to youth camp and the guy would be like, I was on drugs, but the goodness of God found me. And I'd be like, I yelled at my dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you feel like your testimony is not as cool as somebody else's. And I don't know if anybody else did this, but I had a moment where I was like, I'm going to get a testimony. You, I don't, you know, if you grew up as a Christian kid in church, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, my story's not so cool. I'm going to get a, God, I'm going to have to leave you for a while so I can come back to you. With a testimony. <laughs> Come on, anyone else, give me a wave if, you, were, if you, you had that moment in your childhood, you know? Yeah, I gotta leave you, God. I'm coming back. Right? But can I tell you, how good is the goodness of God that kept me from having to go through all that? The goodness of God will get you through it. The goodness of God will bring you back from it. But hey, I'm so glad See, you still have a testimony of the goodness of God. You could say like David, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. And from that day onward, the goodness of God has followed me all the days of my life. Amen. Whether you were wild, whether you were lost and broken and beaten, or whether you gave your life to the Lord at a young age, all of us get to say the goodness of God has followed me. Amen. I thank God that he protected me from so many things. That testimony, that might be, that was my dad's testimony. When my brother gives his life to the Lord, that'll be his testimony. How was this but God? But I thank God that my testimony is, I found the Lord when I was a little boy. And his goodness has followed me all the days of my life. God is good, amen. No matter what time in your life you give your life to the Lord, God is good, church. If you're new to eternity today, I want to say welcome. My name is Jesse. I'm the lead pastor here along with my wife, Lauren. Uh, we're so glad that you're at church today. Uh, we're glad. The team's glad. Our staff, volunteers, everyone who attends Eternity Church makes up this great church. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, and we've got a gift for you after the service. Just run out. Uh, once you go out these doors immediately to your right, there's a team of people waiting to give you a gift. Uh, a a t-shirt, one of these uh, I Heart EC t-shirts. Um, and a few other cool things uh, in the box there as well. We just want to say thank you. We love you. And we're glad that you're here today. 
I want to read a scripture to you today from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. Um, if, you've got your, if you've got your iPhone Bible or your Android Bible or whatever else, that's cool. Um, you know the Bible app hit uh, over half a billion downloads um, recently? I'm like, that's cool, isn't it? I'm going to read to you a portion of Scripture um, uh, from Matthew, the first 17 verses of the New Testament. And uh, I want to warn you, they're perhaps the most boring Scriptures you'll have ever heard read to you at the start of a sermon. Okay? Uh, and uh, that's how it normally is at Eternity Church. It's pretty boring most weeks. Um, the sermon, the worship, the people, we're very boring. And... Um, and so I wanted to share that boringness with you today. I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> We're not boring people at all. But this is just, you know, so-and-so was so-and-so's dad, was so-and-so's dad, was so-and-so's dad. And it can get a bit boring until you unpack it and see what's in it. Amen. Um, let's go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, and Tamar, uh, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadad, and Abinadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the most handsome man that ever walked to the earth, and all the Jesses from then on will be also, was the father of David the king. Does your Bible not say that? Oh. That's what I see. Oh, it is written in pen. Oh, well. And then keep going, verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon uh, by uh, the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of... So I told you it's boring, isn't it? <clears throat> We're going to unpack this and make this awesome in a minute. Where do I even get to? Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, Jeconia, uh, and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation of Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of uh, Shiltiel, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, Abud, the father of Elikim, Elikim, the father of Zah, Zah, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elud, Elud, the father of Eliezer, Eliza, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. We made it. And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon were 14 generations. From the deportation of Babylon to the Christ was 14 generations. You want to pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have to preach your word. The privilege I have to equip your saints and encourage your people. And I ask that you help me to boldly preach it today and every day. Help all of us in this room to eagerly receive your word. Help us to line our lives up with your word, to quit trying to line your word up with our lives. 
God, help us to live in accordance with your word. Help us today as we preach from this passage that comes from before Christ was born, from before Christmas. Help us to deal with all that came before this day in our lives that we could live today and tomorrow in line with your word, chasing after your plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, amen. Amen, come on. You can high-five one of your neighbours and take your seats. So I, um, uh, confession time, I, um, I actually put this sermon on, on paper, so to speak, uh, yesterday afternoon. And um, I actually spent the, the first half of my week, we had a lot of meetings and stuff, but in every moment of free time that I had, I was out in the woods with uh, my son Judah uh, uh, hunting. And, uh, and so that was exciting. Actually, you want to see a picture of Judah? Got his first deer ever up on the screen. Look at that. <clears throat> and so that is exciting. That is just one of the uh, great father-son moment teaching my boy he had to put in a lot of work and a lot of training, and a lot of preparation, and a lot of endurance through cold uh, to get out there and get his first deer. A lot went in before just pulling a trigger. Uh, you can get rid of that photo now uh, in case any uh, people who eat meat in here are horrified to see where it comes from. And so uh, what I've noticed uh, is that, so now we're going to end up with two deers in the freezer every year, and then I've got Eli and Charlie and Zoe and Henry, and so um, I, I think that as time progresses, our family will probably never eat beef ever again, and so, because the freezer will be full of uh, food from God's grocery store, as my friend Luke says, so... Um, but anyway, we spent a lot of time out in the cold, probably about 15 hours plus more. Um, and, um, and so I actually ended up really sick on um, uh, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I uh, just started feeling a little bit better yesterday morning. Um, and I just couldn't, I, I did a lot of reading. I read, you know, a lot, uh, you know just kept reading what I'm going to preach on. Um, I, I put some notes in my iPhone. Um, <clears throat> but I didn't get a chance really to sit down with a clear mind and uh, write it out until yesterday afternoon, and uh, but um, but I preached it last night and it worked out all right. So they were the guinea pigs. So that's good news for you, right? And uh, that was Saturday night, our Saturday at six p.m. service. Uh, the title of my sermon today is "Ghosts of Christmas Past." All right. And uh, I want to look at these first 17 verses that came before Christmas, uh, before Jesus was born, and talk to you about the things of your past that haunt you, the things that came before this moment in your life, okay? Uh, and today we're going to hang out uh, with the greatest ghostbuster of all time. His name is Jesus Christ, amen? Uh, there's some ghosts in your past that we need to bust today. There's some, some, some things in your life that haunt you still today, and we need to bust them. We need to get rid of them in Jesus' name. Amen? So turn to your neighbor and say, who are you going to call? Turn to your other neighbor and say, shh, listen, you smell something? Y'all know what that's from, right? Anyone know what that? That's like one of my favorite lines ever. You got to like, listen, you smell something, you know? Ghost, it's from Ghostbusters, all right? Come on. Has, who has seen Ghostbusters in the room? Give me a wave. All right. I knew it's a good church. Come on. But um, before we get started, though, I want to tell you, it's my prayer that this year you have the best Christmas you've ever had. That in spite of whatever uh, friends you've lost, I've no, I know that in 
2020, 2021, a lot of people are saying that I've lost a lot of friends, right? Uh, Because apparently you can't be friends anymore with someone that doesn't agree with you anymore, right? Like friendship and love have now been redefined to mean affirm and agree with every single thing in your friend's life, right? And so because that new kind of work definition of friendship and and family and love, uh, because that a lot of people have lost friends. And so I've heard a lot of people say, um, people we used to spend Christmas with, we won't get to this year. Even family members have worked out on us because of what we believe on both sides of all of this stuff. And, and, and in the midst of all this disagreement and pain and hurt, I want to tell you, it is, I believe with all my heart, if we refocus our hearts on what Christmas really is, that we can have the best Christmas that we have ever had. Amen. I want to throw something at you at the start. I'll, I'll, I'll button it up at the end. But let me tell you that Christmas is not about family in that it's not about your family. Okay. It's about his family. Amen. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But you're going to have a great Christmas. I believe that. I speak that over your life. And I pray that for every one of you. That in spite of who will or will not be there, what has or has not been, or what you wish was different, that you'll be able to find great joy and great rest in Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's jump in. First, the first ghost that he's going to bust is the ghost of your past sin. Amen. Jesus said it is finished. It is what? Come on up the back. It is what? There we go. It is finished. Yet too many people allow the devil to haunt us with our past mistakes. Too many of us, uh, once we've been forgiven, set free, we still allow the ghosts of our past mistakes to hold us back from God's plan, from God's redemption. (laughs) We don't want to let God use the past to bless the future. We don't, we don't want to allow him to redeem it because it's too ungodly, so to speak. But God wants to redeem your past. Scripture says that God will use all things to the benefit of those who love the Lord. All right. That means how many of the things? All the things. All the good things. Yes. But also all the bad things because they both fall under all the things. That's redemption. God will redeem the past, amen. God wants to use the past, no matter how bad or good it was, to do something good in your life and to do something good in the lives of those around you. But too many people think that, well, maybe I'm the one that went too far. I'm the one that God can't forgive. They think they're the one that carries a stain that's too strong for the blood of Jesus. Well, listen to me. Jesus' blood is holy and pure and strong enough to cover my sin and your sin and all our sin, or it isn't good enough to cover any sin. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? If his, sin, if his blood doesn't cover your sin, then it doesn't cover mine. If his blood doesn't cover my sin, then it doesn't cover yours. The blood of Jesus covers every sin. I think I'm going to need a new mic soon, guys. Um, uh, it's trying to freaking out on us here. Let me show you. Have any of you ever done a family tree? Anyone done a family tree? Give me a wave. You got a family tree, right? It seems to be a bit more of an old school thing. Something people used to do, um, you know, like, you know, to show where you come from. Where did you go? Cotton Eye Joe, right? And, um, 
Uh, my family did a, uh, did a family tree a few years ago, and that's when we discovered that the Newman family actually come from New York around the time of the Civil War. We were on the winning team. Hello. Bad joke. Yo, can you hear me? All right, all right, all right. This one sounds different, doesn't it? They'll make it sound different over the next minute or so, all right? So, yeah, when our family did a, uh, a 23andMe um, a, a couple of, you know, a few years ago, that's when we discovered that the Newman family's actually from uh, New York around the time of the Civil War. And, uh, and that our great, great, great grandpa left New York, married a New Zealander, come on, and had kids who then moved to Australia. And now I'm here. Now, what I love about that story is the way God in his sovereignty, God in his foresight, God in his planning, called a family from this country to another country, then another country, so he could bring back some Aussies to this country who deep in their hearts would have a love for this country that they didn't understand. So they could do things in this country that other people can't do. So they could say things in this country that other people don't get away with saying. Come on. Like, I love to preach the truth, right? Once I woke up to preach it, people like, it's all right, he's an immigrant. It's all right, he's Australian. He's allowed to say those things, and you can't pick on me because I'm not from here, right? And so, and, and I joke, but there's an element of truth to that, that I get to say things from the Word of God and say things that are true, and we get away with it a little bit more than somebody who is from here, right? And that was God in His foresight and God in His planning uh, because He wants to do a new thing here. Amen? But has anyone here ever done a 23andMe? Right? Hands up if you've done a 23andMe. Yeah, all right, all right. Um, and, you know, you get to look at the heritage. You, you know, you, you send a little bit of your DNA in the mail to some company out there. Who would never do that? Give me a wave if you will never do that. Hands up, put it up. You're like, I will never, ever do a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com. Give me a wave, right? Now, put your hand down. Now, everyone, uh, no, we're not going to bow your head and close your eyes. Just admit who you are, all right? Hands up if the reason that you won't do it is because it's all a government conspiracy and they're collecting your DNA. Come on, put your hand up. There we go. Come on. I knew you people were in here. <laughs> they're everywhere, right? You're like, heck no, right? One of my most conservative friends that I have told me the other day that they did a, D, a, a DNA 23andMe test, and I was blown away. I'm like, nah, you're for sure the government guy. You're like, no, 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 23andMe is an extension of the CIA, and they're collecting everyone's DNA, right? And he's like, yeah, I 100% think that. But they've also already got my DNA anyway, so I might as well benefit from it. So he's like even further, he's like, they already got your DNA, right? Anyway, <laughs> but people get their 23andMe results back, they get their DNA results back, and they get all excited because they're like, I'm royal. I always knew I was better than everybody else. There is royal blood in me. I'm a Scandinavian princess. 
or they discover that they're Scottish like 18 generations ago and they're like, about two weeks later, they got a Scottish accent. I'm like, y'all know accents don't come in your DNA, but they're like, mine did. Well, the first 17 verses of the New Testament are Jesus Christ's 23 and me. And there's almost no good news in it. Almost no good news in it. It's not like he's like, everybody check out how awesome my family is. There's hard, he didn't get his 23 minute back and be like, man, I am better than everybody. You know what I mean? Like it was not that story. There's almost no good news in his family tree. Imagine you get your 23 and me back and you discover that you're related to not one, not two, not three, but all the famous serial killers, right? Like not just the serial killer, but every sleazebag, dirtbag, every famous crook that there has ever been, you're related to all of them. You're related to Ted Bundy, Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Pedro Lopez, Harvey Weinstein, and Jeffrey Epstein. Too soon? You're related to every single sleazebag that ever got famous in the whole world, right? You wouldn't tell anybody about that. You would be like, you know, I'm going to keep my 23 and me to myself. Because if I tell everybody, they're all going to start wondering when that DNA is going to kick in. I'm going to go all Jack the Ripper on everybody. Right? Wouldn't you? You would hide that. Quick, smart, in a hurry, right? But Jesus doesn't hide it. It's right there in his intro letter. It's the first 17 verses of the new covenant. It's like, hey, everybody, come do business with my family. Here's our family history. Might, might go somewhere else. That's his welcome to the Jesus story. That's the Bible's Christmas dinner invitation. It's jacked up. Let me, let me show you. We get one word into the genealogy, right? Abraham, bang, first word, lied about being married. Twice. Twice, right? Twice. First, he's like, you know what? These people, they, 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 if they know I'm married to her, they're going to kill me and take her, so I'll just <clears throat> self-preservation. You know, she ain't my wife. Let some other dude take his wife. And then he did it again. Ladies, if your husband denies that you're his wife once, sort him out twice. It's a miracle they had kids, which is a miracle anyway, actually. Right? He did it twice. Then, then the next, next line, right? And Abraham was the father of Isaac. Let me, like father, like son. Isaac, this dude lies about Rebecca being his wife and allows another man to take her. And the dude that took her finds out she's married to Isaac and he is like, what is wrong with this family? He's like, his daddy did that twice. And now this bloke, these are awful people, right? And then he goes, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob was a very wealthy man. He got it all by cheating his own father and brother into giving him a massive fortune. His name means deceiver. Deceiver. 
And then he cheated. He's like, I ain't got enough just yet. Then he cheated his father-in-law as well into giving him all the good stuff from his father's farm, his father-in-law's farm as well. Jacob. We're three names deep so far. Jacob, the father of Judah. Now, Judah's a great man of God, right? Right? Everybody talks about Judah being a great man of God, and he was, and he did many great things, known as one of the best. Judah's tribe was symbolized by the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah struck fear in people's, in people's hearts. In Revelation, Jesus is even called that lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, first, that guy helped sell his own brother into slavery. Don't do that, Judah. He said no promises. If I was God, I'd have maybe maybe moved that sort of uh, messianic DNA heritage line over to Joseph. Anybody? You'd be like, you know, I might sell, I might move that to the guy who remained faithful all the way. The guy who was faithful in prison. The guy who was faithful in the pit. The guy who was faithful in Potiphar's house. The guy who was faithful on the mountain. I, I, I would maybe move it there, but not God. God's like, no, no, this is the line, right? But things get worse for Judah. Judah also slept with a hooker that he didn't realize was actually his dead son's wife. Nasty, right? See, Tamar, the, the, his dead son's wife, was the wife of Judah's firstborn son. He was evil and he died. Then as Jewish custom required, uh, because she was childless, she would be married to the next unmarried son so she would be looked after and have a son of her own so she would be looked after, right? So she married Judah's next eldest son, but he too was evil as well. He wouldn't look after her and provide what she needed and he died and she's still childless. Then Judah lies to her and says, that that then says, you know, I'll give you a son another time. But really, he starts cursing her. He starts calling her a, a, a curse, starts calling her, her rubbish and, and evil. And, and everyone who goes near you dies. And he doesn't give her another son like he promised that he would and like custom required. So she decides to dress herself up and pretend and, and be a hooker out by the gate when Judah is traveling, lures him in. He sleeps with her. Because obviously she knew that this particular man had a particular thing for the ladies and this plan would work. And then about three months later, they find out that Tamar is preggers. Pregnant. Judah calls her a whore. Y'all like don't use that word in church. That's in the Bible. That's what he called her. Judah calls her a whore. And wants to have her burned alive for getting pregnant when she ain't married. Then she shows him some things he left behind with her on that fateful night. He humbles himself realizing he's the one who engaged the services of the so-called hooker that night. And he says, she is more righteous than I. Since I did not keep my word to her. And from that encounter between Judah... And his dead son's wife acting as a hooker, Perez is born. We're only five names deep 
in the family tree. So tell me about your family again. What's so wrong with your family right now? If you ever think your family's gone too far, unredeemable, too messed up, too jacked up, if you ever think your sins are too much or too ugly or too shameful for Jesus, can I encourage you to go back and read the first 17 verses of the New Testament and do a name search on each and every one of those names? Go back and read Jesus 23 and me and understand Jesus was not ashamed of them and he's not ashamed of you. That's just five names. We didn't even have time. We don't have time to go over all of them. But let me tell you about a couple more names that show up in the family tree, right? Remember, this is the Bible's Christmas dinner invitation to y'all. couple more. Obed, the father of Jesse. We already know what he says about all the Jesses that will come from now on. Jesse, the father of David, the king. David, the dude who lied and slept with his neighbor's wife, got her pregnant, and then had his neighbor murdered to cover up his own sin. He's in there too. That guy and that woman, God has those two in Jesus' family tree. David and Bathsheba then have another son and that son is named Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king the world had ever seen up to that point. In fact, philosophers, universities and scholars the world over use Solomonic wisdom in much of their work. It's not just biblically, but even secularly, they consider him one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth. That guy, that guy was so wise, well, the wisest man ever, but he still had thousands of women besides his own wife. Even as the wisest man on earth, Solomon raised one of the most evil sons on earth, one of the most evil kings, the whole, one of the most evil people in the whole family tree of Jesus Christ. How did such a wise man raise that kid? Right? I didn't even mention Rahab the hooker that betrayed her own people and then ended up being in King David's, uh, ended up being King David's great great grandma. The lineage of Jesus Christ. And then to top it all off, Jesus' own mom gets pregnant. She ain't married. Right? And the moment Jesus is born, he's got a stepdad. And instead of hiding all of that, Jesus comes into the world saying, See all this? This is where I come from. These are the sorts of people that I still love. These people can be redeemed. I'm not ashamed of them and I'm not ashamed of you. Church, listen to me. He is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Amen. When the devil uses the shame of your past sins to make you feel unworthy, unloved, unqualified, you remind the devil that Jesus came to bust the ghosts of my past sin. He wasn't ashamed of Abraham. He wasn't ashamed of Isaac. He wasn't ashamed of Jacob and Tamar and Rahab and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and his, and his own unique family situation. And he's not ashamed of you. You're welcome in his house. You know, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're adopted into his family. People say things like, we're all children of God. No, we're not all children of God. But those of us who believe in his son, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ are children of God. Amen. You're a child of God. Now you are in Jesus 23 and me. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and if you haven't given your life to Christ, 
You're invited to join his family. No one's perfect. You've seen the list, but all of us, as we give our lives to Christ and as we pursue him with our lives, it gets better and better and better as we trust him and as we follow him and and as we allow the word of God to line our lives up with his plan. Amen. God would gladly, without any shame, write your name on his family tree. Another thing that this scripture shows us is that he doesn't care what your family looks like. He can do something good in you, for you, and through you, no matter where you came from. God will do something good through you, no matter who you came through. Amen? It doesn't matter what your family past is. He's going to bust the ghost of your family past. Amen? One of the tricks that the devil plays on us is to get us to look back at where we come from to determine where we're going. Don't we oft- that's why we have resumes, right? Don't we often say that, um, that the best indicator of future performance is past performance, right? And the devil will play that trick with our families. The world does it all the time, right? You see it in the world, families that get stuck in cycles of poverty. Poverty, next generation, poverty, next generation, poverty, next generation, poverty, right? Cycles of shame. Next generation shame and ashamed and ashamed of what their dad did or what their mom did. And then they fall into it and they, and they follow that cycle. And when you get to school, they say things like, oh, I've had a few Newmans before. Oh, I know your family. And they try to determine your future based on your family's past. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus can redeem it. Jesus can set you free from it. Jesus redeemed that family history. Come on. Jesus redeemed that family tree, and he can redeem yours too. Your whole family may have been alcoholics, but you don't have to be. Your whole family's past. Every generation might have been riddled with abuse, but your family doesn't have to be. You don't have to fit into that cycle. You don't have to be that cliche in your family. Amen. There may be cycles of criminal, of criminal behavior in your past, but you don't have to be. Well, great-granddaddy and granddaddy and dad and, and, and my brothers and me, you don't have to be what they are. Jesus can redeem your family. He can change your family story. He can redeem it all the way back. He can use all the garbage to do something fantastic in you. Did you know if Judah didn't mess around with Tamar, Joseph and Mary would never have been born? Both Joseph and Mary come from that family tree. And they wouldn't have been born if Judah didn't make a mistake and mess up with Tamar. Don't you love the way God will use jacked up stuff to do good things in the world? Amen. If Rahab the hooker didn't betray her own people, we wouldn't have got Boaz the redeemer. If Judah didn't sell his own brother into slavery the Israelites wouldn't have survived the famine and the family tree would have died then. A friend of mine who's a famous preacher was only born because his mother was raped. And so when that man gave his life to Christ and started preaching the gospel, thousands are being saved and that awful part of their family history is being redeemed. Let God use you to redeem the mess of your family's past, amen? Don't let the devil trick you into believing that nothing good comes from your family. A lot of good things can come from your family. 
Good comes from every person and every family that allows Jesus Christ to write their names on his tree. There may have been abuse in your past, but that's not who you are. There may have been slavery in your past, but that's not who you are. Don't let the devil trick you into identifying yourself as your family's history or even your own history. Instead, let God use you to redeem the past, amen, to do something good through the, through the pain of your past. There may have been murder, abuse, addiction, crime. Well, it's time to let the Redeemer redeem. Amen? And that leads me to this. Jesus isn't ashamed of you. But those cycles can stop. Jesus isn't ashamed of your family. But those addictions can stop. Whatever cycles you're stuck in, Whatever cycles your family's in, it can be stopped. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. See, if you're tired of fighting the ghosts of your past, if you're tired of fighting the patterns that you're caught up in, he can stop it for you. If you're tired of, of carrying the weight of your past sin and shame, he can stop it. He can, he can take that weight from you. So many of us get so tired and so weary carrying the weight that we give into the idea that, well, this is how it's going to be. Like, well, I guess my daddy had this problem and my brothers have this problem, so I'm going to have this problem. My mommy had this problem. My brothers have this problem. So I guess this is just the way it's going to be. I still love the Lord, but I guess this is just how it's going to be. No, listen, it can stop. Whether it's about sin or stress or even Christmas, right? Christmas, a season of joy for so many, becomes a season of fear and pain and stress for so many people. It can stop. It can stop. Would you all mind standing up with me as I get ready to close? I want to read to you verse 17 again and listen, listen to me. This is... I'm going to say, I'm going to read a little bit and it's going to sound a little bit, I don't know if it's boring is the word, but a little bit confusing for a moment. But, but, but bear with me because this is the most important part of the message. Verse 17 says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Someone say 14. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. Someone say 14. And from the deportation of Babylon... To the Christ, 14 generations. 14. God is really intentional in His Word with numbers. He's very intentional with numbers. And I'm not trying to get into some kind of like numerology or anything like that. I'm not into that. But, but when God repeats certain numbers, they mean certain things. He doesn't accidentally repeat it. He's like, you know what? Let's just do 14 three times. <clears throat> He's very intentional. So let's look at that. You'll notice that 14 are all multiples of seven. Now, seven means two things in the word of God. It means perfect and it means complete. Seven means perfect and it means complete. Pretty much every biblical scholar agrees that the most important number in this verse is actually 42. That is 14 plus 14, plus 14, 42. 
42 being six sevens. Six sevens. This isn't just me thinking, you know, oh, I've got this cool, oh, that's a cool idea. No, no, this is what we talked about when I went to Bible college. And pretty much every Bible college would talk about this moment right here. Six sevens. Now, now, by the way, if you ever have your preacher and he preaches something and you're like, and he thinks he's amazing because he's like, man, I found something in the Bible no one else has ever seen in thousands of years. Find a new church. Because he's making crap up. All right. He might have a unique way of applying it. That's different. But if you find some brand new truth now. <laughs> 46 is six sevens. Now bear with me. This ties in with the creation story. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And then on the seventh, the Sabbath, the rest. Now what biblical scholars agree and scripture tells us repeatedly is that Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. So why put it here in his introduction? Six sevens, scholars agree that Jesus is the seventh one. Now in the beginning, God worked for six days. Then he rested, right? But why did God rest? God doesn't get tired. He's all powerful. God doesn't get worn out. He doesn't run out of energy all of a sudden like World War II and God's like, oh, I am so tired. No, he, God doesn't need to recover. It says on the seventh day where we read the word rest, it, it, it's the word Shabbat. Y'all heard that word? It's what, how we say it is Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath here, it means rest to a degree. But its primary meaning is not rest as in the way you view the word rest, which is relax and recuperate. The, the, the word means stop. And on the seventh day, he stopped. He told us that we should always have a day where we stop. On the seventh day, God stopped. Now listen to me very, very carefully, church fam. Jesus is the stop. 14 and 14 and 14 and generations after generations after generations of sin and generation after generation after generation of shame and generation after generation after generation of betrayal, of disobedience, of unfaithfulness, of addiction, of murder, of adultery and generations are coming and generations are going and generations are coming and there's patterns of of sin and patterns of unfaithfulness and patterns of, 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 of disobedience and, and around and around and around they go. And, and then Jesus comes and he says, stop. Stop. Jesus is the stop to the pattern. He's a stop to the cycles in your family. There's, there might be a cycle 
of divorce. The world tells us that, that if your mom and dad got divorced, you are something of multiple times more likely to get divorced. And so that pattern begins. It may have started 150 years ago and, and they got divorced and then the, and they got divorced and then, the, then, the, then they got divorced and my great-granddad got divorced and my granddad got divorced and, and my mom got divorced and, and then it comes to you and Jesus says, Stop! Stop! Maybe abuse has been in your family. And it's been abuse and abuse and abuse and abuse. And you give your life to Christ. And Jesus says, stop. Alcoholism. 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 Alcohol. Stop. Jesus is the stop. Maybe it's not a family cycle, but a cycle in your own life of addiction. And I'm, there's these patterns. See, Scripture says we don't have to conform to the patterns of this world. But there's patterns in our lives, patterns of addiction, patterns of addiction, patterns of... Stop! Stop! Jesus is the stop. You've been stuck in patterns of adultery, stuck in patterns of divorce, stuck in patterns of addiction, stuck in patterns of substance abuse, and Jesus comes and says, stop. And the reputations of your past, they stop with him. And the pain of your past, it, it's got to stop. The shame, it stops with him. The cycles of sin, they stop with him. The patterns of your past stops because we do not have to conform to the patterns of this world because Jesus Christ said, stop, your mind can be renewed. As we lead into Christmas, don't Christians just fall into some unhealthy patterns every year? So many of us fall into these unhealthy patterns of Christmas and we don't look forward to Christmas sometimes because we're like, if it's going to be like last year where it's psycho or where so-and-so will be there or so-and-so won't be there. Can I tell you, Christmas is not about your family. It's about his family and if your family wants to be in it. And when we make Christmas about our family, we get anxiety, we get disappointed, because our family, when we make it about our family, we start making it about behavior, we start making it about who said what, who turned up, who did not, but when it's about his family, we see it's not about behavior, it's about the Redeemer. And perhaps for you, the patterns of Christmas have been anxiety, 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 anxiety. Jesus comes in today. He's saying, will you let me put a stop to that? Hey, that doesn't mean you can't get together with your family. That doesn't mean you can't buy your kids gifts. Though, can I tell you, people say Christmas is about giving. No, it's not. It's about the one who gave. It's about... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son. 
And whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about the one who gave. Now we give our kids presents too. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're judging whether Christmas is good based on whether your kids behave, listen, if they wake up and eat 18 Pop-Tarts for breakfast and then have a marshmallow salad for lunch and get 37 presents, they're going to be psycho. You either quit all that or you quit complaining about what you did to them that day. Serious. Like we wonder why they misbehave. Like putting diesel in a gasoline engine and wondering why it didn't run properly. Come on, right? It's not about that. Christmas is about remembering that he's the great redeemer. It's about his family. Before he was born... The introduction was, look at all these people. It's about the fact that his grace allows me to be written into his 23 and me. So take a moment. Number one, stop trying to have a perfect behaved Christmas because you got people coming to town. So that ain't going to happen. Like, wh- Why do you think that that's what makes Christmas good or not? What makes Christmas good or not is at the other end, am I written in his 23 and me? Man, I'm so grateful I am and take a moment to look at your family and say what patterns could my savior stop this year that don't have to come again next year amen thank you so much for listening to this message if you enjoyed it please check out our other episodes if you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.